Hello, dear listeners. Thank you for clicking that play button today on episode 13. Universal HealthCoin was one of the books that actually inspired me to start this podcast. So it was a great pleasure to have the author of the book as a guest on the show. This episode is not as blockchain technical as some previous episodes, but we do discuss some of the really difficult challenges that the healthcare industry is currently facing. Dr. Jones has a long list of accomplishments, and he is certainly very optimistic about Universal HealthCoin. He is a managing principal and chief investment officer at Bird Dog Ventures. He's also been a mentor for many entrepreneurs for over 20 years, uh, you know, helping other people who are starting new companies build what they're dreaming to build and really help them accomplish what they're trying to accomplish. So a very inspirational person. Instead of my usual Health Unchained introduction sound bit, I want you all to listen to part of Blockchain Movement, which is a song written by Gordon Jones and produced by Art Love and Hakeem Wells. I think it's pretty catchy and can easily get stuck in your head. So hope you all enjoy it. There's a link to the full version in the show notes. I trust the chain when I'm in doubt. I trust the chain. Are you in or are you out? A peer-to-peer version of electronic cash. Online payments from one to another with no third to provide. Trust, are you in or are you out? And today we have a special guest. His name is Dr. Gordon Jones, and he is the president and chief operating officer of Universal HealthCoin. But before that, he's done a lot of different types of activities in his day. He was actually a G.I. Joe, I read, in the U.S. Army. And you know, I see your Apache in the background there, man. <laughs> you like that image over there? Yeah. I've had it for That's a while. That's about the only, only uh, vehicle I haven't jumped out of. Because really? you can't jump out of those unless you're getting shot down. So, <laughs> really, okay. Why is that? Yeah. Uh, well, because there's only one or two guys in it. Fair so enough. I, when I was in the 82nd, we were jumping out of helicopter, Nighthawks, Hueys. I mean, everything. <laughs> but we don't jump out of those because those things are full of rockets. So, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> uh, you're also you also earned your master's and doctorate in health administration. Uh, yes. you, you're working on a few different projects, including Palmetto Chain, which I find interesting. It's a based in South Carolina. But I think today, for for the sake of time, let's try to focus on healthcare and the problems that we see in healthcare, and how potentially you and your team is trying to you know solve it or help solve it. Absolutely. And maybe you know you kind of want to give a just a brief intro yourself. Some, I'm sure I missed a lot of things you want to include in, in the podcast. Personally, I've adopted five kids. Uh, my wife and I have adopted five special needs kids. So we continue our healthcare mission into our private life also. <laughs> That's amazing. I don't know how you find and the time. We have a nonprofit foundation that raises uh, money for um, speech, occupational, and physical therapy for children. Mm-hmm. And we're starting up a preschool for medically fragile children age six weeks to six years old to prepare them for K through 12, which uh, these kids are so fragile. They don't daycare, can't take care of them or anything like that. So they get taken care of 
at home by a family member and it's a real stressful and the mm-hmm. divorce rate for them is 85%. So it's crazy. But anyway, well, so our mission is 24 hours a day in this household, not, not just working out. What would you say right now is the most frustrating or inefficient part of our healthcare system? So, you know, when Courtney, uh, Courtney Jones, my partner, we met about a year and a half ago at a wearable health conference. And he asked me that same question, but more specifically to how, what, where would we use blockchain to make the most impact in healthcare? And I'm, I was kind of semi-retired last year. Um, I'm entrepreneur in residence for a startup life, which is an incubator here, which is only part-time. So it's pretty fun. But, um, so I thought about it and, and the last thing that I wanted to do was do what we did in the nineties with the internet. And that's make the old crusty health system a little more efficient by adopting this new technology. You know, we, we worked to adopt the internet to make claims processing, adjudication, health information exchange, payment more efficient. It didn't really do it that well. So I, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want, I didn't, I don't see blockchain, um, uh, there, it will make those processes more efficient. It's just, that's not the biggest need. What we need to do is change our whole health system. Um, and it's being driven by the big insurance companies, which we call the BUCAs, B-U-C-A-H, Blue Cross, United, Cigna, Aetna, and Humana. And not that they're all of them, but they represent all of them. And Buka is kind of a cool name to represent them. So we call them the Bukas. Okay, give it to you. <laughs> and, uh, and then the government. So the way that our health system works here in the United States, it really, it really still does operate the same way in every other country. It's just that in every other country, it's a one central organization controlling what happens. But here in the States, uh, 85% of the employees who get their coverage through a Blue Cross or United or something like that, those aren't, ins- those aren't the insurance companies. They're not the payers. Their employer is paying. Because they're in self-insured plans. So really, at the end of the day, it's the government telling the industry what they need to cover and pay for. And so that's what I see we have the opportunity to change, which is what's made me so excited to stay in this project for the last year. Um, going through all the stuff that <laughs> projects in blockchain and cryptocurrency go through. Um but so that's the biggest need. I mean, yes, there's great efficiencies. We, you know, there's a lot of things we can do with electronic medical records. And, and so you're talking about processing. you're but, talking about kind of cutting out the middleman. Well, that's what decentralization is all about, right? That's right. I mean, that's the <laughs> so we, idea behind we, it. You know, in the '90s, um, one of the things that I did was I helped organize physicians into what are called independent physician associations. And then we would contract back with the payers, could be the insurance companies, could be the government, to take the risk of controlling the care for our patients, okay? Mm -hmm. And so we became the managers of our patients, not the insurance company or the government. 
and and that that kind of worked out but it was really nasty business um and in the late 90s that model kind of went away uh because it didn't work very well and the main reason it didn't work very well is because we didn't have the information systems or the technology to manage it appropriately um so you're thinking of going back to that model but now with the technology that we do have we'll be able to run it successfully that's the idea well the point of what we wanted to do with that model was have the physician and patient maintain the relationship not a third party okay so what we have the opportunity to do today with blockchain is to decentralize the funding and payment process which will then enable the doctor and the patient relationship to uh, come back into, um, you know, more of a personal relationship as, as opposed to a corporate relationship. So let's talk a little bit about universal health coin. So you co-authored this with, uh, Courtney Jones and no relation. And, um, I'd like to kind of learn more about the origin story behind that. Yeah. So, so like I said, we, we were, um, working on some separately we were working on some wearable tech uh, almost you know like your apple watch uh in health and we met at a conference and we he actually came because he wanted to meet me i was kind of pushing the agenda in that business and and doing a lot of webinars and talking about how we can use iot and healthcare and all that and and so he approached me with the idea of how we could use blockchain and cryptocurrency technology in healthcare, but he wanted me to, he wanted me to kind of give him direction on, okay, you know, where's the best place to do it? What, what need is greatest in healthcare to, to be able to focus on? Cause you know, you can't do everything. And so that's really where it started. And that was actually in June, May, June of last year. And, um, by the end of June, we had our idea. Um, and it was, um, it's wrapped around what exists here in the United States called health cost sharing. Mm-hmm. So in the U.S., uh, health cost sharing organizations are grandfathered in uh, under the uh, Affordable Care Act as legitimate health plans that qualify for the individual mandate portion of Obamacare. Um in the United States, most of them are faith-based, but that doesn't really matter. The, it's the infrastructure, the, 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 the sharing component of it, and I'll talk to you about that in a second, that really makes it valid as a, as a health coverage plan, okay? Now, it's not insurance. It's not, it's not called insurance. It's not covered under the Department of Insurance in any state, um, so you don't have to comply with all those DOI rules and all that because it's, it's like self-regulated. Uh, it's not, yeah, so it's 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 not regulated. It's just over kind of watched. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so they have to be very careful about the terminology they use. But basically, it's voluntary. But a member volunteers a specific amount every month mm-hmm. that they must con- that they need to contribute every month to qualify themselves for when they need uh, health service covered by the members and basically it's a sharing model so the members share in the coverage of health services when another member goes and receives it whether it's a 135 dollar wellness visit or it's a 150 thousand dollar um 
uh, cardiac event. So uh, it seems very so similar that to model, insurance. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's not insurance. It's valid. There's about 1.4 million people in the United States who are covered by these plans, uh, programs. Uh, there's 104 programs. So some of them are very small, but, but, um, but they work and they've right. been around since 1992 in an official capacity, but you know, you can go all the way back to, biblical times and and you know we think community based it is it's it's community sharing community cost sharing well we just saw that that model was perfect for for a decentralized health system which is what we can put on the blockchain and so that's what we've adopted and 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 uh, so we started working on the white paper june of last year um so i i Courtney was working, so I did all the research, and and we kind of came up with a model where we could uh, take that that business model and put it on the blockchain, technically. Uh, and we published that white paper initially in October of last year, and um, it was really long. As a matter of fact, we turned it into a book and. It's on Amazon now, but it's actually kind of it's old because <laughs> there's so right here. <laughs> we're like on. We're like on 25 revisions since, since we yeah, that. we were talking earlier and a few things change, especially your architecture. Yeah, but you know, that's what this is the nature of this business, right? So. Absolutely. And, you know, continuing on that conversation with uh, health sharing, health cost sharing organizations, you also have a, a, the former CEO of MediShare on your team, Tony Meggs. Yes. Uh, what was his input in the beginning? What was his idea? Was he like very excited? Yeah, so because- he's an advisor. So we have several, we have a lot of healthcare, a lot of technical advisors, and uh, we certainly wanted to have representation from the health cost sharing industry. And so Tony uh, was the former CEO of MediShare, which is the largest of the health cost sharing uh, ministry organizations. And and the former CEO of MediShare before him, they are both partners in a company called Shareable Life. And so they're actually working on building a new exchange platform that's that's for the health cost sharing ministries. It's not on the blockchain, but they've been working on it for two years. And uh, and so I wanted to invite you know make sure we get somebody at that level who really as a matter of fact he had the patent on the shareable exchange um i think the patent's like 15 years old or something like that but anyway so very credible and and uh and and he said that even if at the end of the day we end up competing with each other as long as we're promoting health cost sharing he loves it which is my philosophy about competition too. I mean, if you don't have competition, especially when you're talking about humongous markets, I mean, we spend ten trillion dollars on healthcare. I mean, how much do you need to you know, to, yeah. to participate, right? So, uh, so no, he's a great guy, and we've had several conversations and a couple of meetings, face to face meetings about our model, and and uh, so he's still on board with it. Absolutely. And I think the structure of your company is interesting too. It's a public benefit corporation, which yeah. So we uh, so we um, we you know we're focused more on the tokenization and the ecosystem and the value that the ecosystem brings to the to the world, not 
us going public or anything like that. So even though we are a organ, a public benefit corporation set it up in, in Delaware, its primary focus is not the shareholders. It's the benefit to the public, but there still are shareholders. Right. Um, and so we just saw, we, we never really knew that that existed. So when we found it, we said, well, we got to be one of those, man. <laughs> so, so that's what we did. The purpose of blockchain is for the community in a way. So it's to decentralize, take away power from centralized authorities that may be introducing costs that are unnecessary or wasteful and uh, it makes sense. Can you tell me a little bit about the architecture of like, how is it actually built? What's the technology made of? Like starting from what you initially proposed in your first version of the book and how you've made okay. it. Yeah. Well, well, of course, first of all, you have to, if you're not going to create your own blockchain from nothing, right, then you're going to choose an existing blockchain platform to fork or build on. Mm -hmm. And at first we were looking at Ethereum, of course, because that was really the first one that was built to actually be become a platform um, with its smart contracts and everything like that. And so we, when I first, when we first published the book version, it, we were, you know, we were going down that pathway with Ethereum and we were um, um, planning on doing that. And then, and it was a, almost about that time when CryptoKitties, you know, came out and, and the theorem got slammed in transaction volume. And, and so we, you know, when, then we started thinking about, okay, how many transactions are we going to actually be doing if we have 5 million members mm -hmm. in our ecosystem? And, um, and we realized that they weren't going to be able to handle the transactions per second. So we started looking around. Uh, we hired ICO Project out of Raleigh, who are our initial ICO consultants. And they had just switched from Ethereum over to NEO. And so in the later part of the year, December, January is when we switched over to NEO. We hadn't done any development on Ethereum yet. Okay. It was um, a decision-making uh, process. That wasn't, it wasn't any big deal. But, um, and, and as a matter of fact, my first version of our switch was all I did was uh, find and replace uh, Ether with Neo <laughs> in, this, in the in white paper. Documents. And I got nailed for that, man. I said the people were like just smashing me on <laughs> So anyway, but anyway, we go back in. We went out to the Neo DevCon in uh, San Francisco. Uh, I think it was February of, um, of this year. So February, and we met all those guys and they were really gung-ho about what our project was, uh, was doing and how they could get involved and and so we really dove in and started editing the white paper so that the technology really matched what we were doing and building and designing that. While we also had a private pre-sale to raise the money to fund the development. Um, and then in, and then in um, April, uh, we had already started talking to IBM a little bit um, through some mutual contacts. And in April, we... Uh, had a, a big uh, meetup in um, Toronto, Ontario with IBM Canada hmm. because they really liked what we were doing and they wanted to get involved with what we were doing. And so we applied to become an IBM global entrepreneur company and was accepted. And that gives you a bunch of free stuff for a awesome. year. 
And uh, our sponsor, um, Stephen Brickell, he's he's in Canada, he's in Toronto, and he's responsible for all of IBM healthcare and IBM government business development in Canada. So he's a big wig, and he's kind of become our sponsor. Uh, and and then in March, so that was in uh, I mean I think that was must have been at the end of February. So in March we went. He brought us to the Think Conference in Las Vegas. And that is IBM's annual conference. So 78,000 people go to Las Vegas from around the world. And they have one big old exhibit area that's just meeting rooms. And Stephen set us up with um, every, every division lead, cloud, blockchain, AI, Watson, uh, the Haifa Lab, in Israel, we met those people. I mean, he had us lined up with all the top folks so that we could explain what we were doing and get them on board. And they all said, not one, every single one of them said, what can we do for you? So they were on board with, they, they gave us good feedback on how we could adopt the things that they were working on. Uh, and so it was a really great meeting. And then, and then through that process, we uh, um, engaged IBM to then help us vet out really the best way we should design our platform. Uh, we even had, we even had in our hotel room, uh, IBM and medic lab people who's our tech development group out of Hamilton, Ontario. We were in hotel room during the think conference, just doing whiteboarding. Uh, so it was really cool. Three days of that. That's <laughs> really nice. I mean, with the top IBM people that we didn't have to pay for their time. Yeah, that's and awesome. uh, it was pretty cool. So we came away with that, and and one of the things that we came away with was we really wanted to assess Neo against Ethereum and against Stellar because Stellar is is the plat blockchain payment platform that IBM's backing. And but we did a real we did a real serious um, assessment, and it's on my LinkedIn and also on our blog. It's almost a white paper in and of itself. I'll put all of this in the show notes as well. For the yeah, and and uh, we determined that Stellar over the long term, based upon our focus on funding and payment in healthcare, would be the right blockchain platform to build on. And so immediately right after that, we then rewrote the white paper again, oriented towards Stellar and then also Sovereign. We haven't, we haven't incorporated Sovereign yet, but we will eventually be using Sovereign for identity management. Right now we're using uh, Identity Mind for our KYC and AML process, but eventually just on the identity, which is really focused more on provider credentialing and, and individual uh, KYC, yeah, we see Sovereign is fitting in there. So, so those are the platforms we chose. Um, we're in the IBM cloud uh, for our apps. Uh, we've already created our wallets uh, system, our provider profile development system. A patient, if you're you're a if you're a UHX holder, you've got your wallet. You can search for a provider, engage that provider through a smart contract to receive care. So we've built that and we're deploying that this week. That's really um, interesting. So when you so say yeah. receive care, do you mean uh, in person 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay. uh, we do uh, another thing that we've done is also already contracted with a telehealth company called Teladoc. Right. It's a big. So actually, we have thirty-eight of our pre-sale members who are already receiving services, telehealth services from Teladoc. <laughs> so what? So uh, eventually, that'll be embedded inside the platform. It's not yet because. Teladoc's an EDI company, not an API company. So, so it's kind of hard to do a, a two-way real-time transactions between uh, between them. But but that's okay, as long as we can hand off our member to their telehealth doc and they can have a telehealth visit. That's that's the primary that um, service we're offering. Would you be able to connect or like link up with another type of telehealth company that might have APIs? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're we're building the platform of platforms. So if you mm -hmm. think about it, we're building the horizontal platform, right? Mm -hmm. And that's our focus. Now our health cost sharing will be a vertical app, so a D app, if you will, built on that horizontal platform. So we see telehealth providers coming in and and designing their own smart contract and in, interfacing their APIs with ours. So that it's it's um, it's more integrated and user friendly. So absolutely, we're not. There's no exclusivity here. We just contract with them first because they were willing to contract with us first. <laughs> so. so the idea would be the patient can pay their providers directly instead of having to go through a third party or payment processor. Yeah, uh, exactly. So yeah, not even a credit card press. So they would it would stream through the smart contract process. And, um, and then, and then, and then the other thing, so yes, the first stage of all this is direct payment. So we're not doing the health cost sharing until next year. Cause we have to build that. Mm -hmm. So right now you can come into the system, see a provider's fee schedule, location, fee schedule, all that and say, okay, I want to go to that guy at that price, which you'll only be able to get through UHX. Um, and then and then schedule the appointment and pay through the system. And so that's the first stage of everything is, is, is direct payment and access to a provider. But it would be either a face-to-face -face visit or a telehealth visit. Very interesting. So how do you protect patient privacy? Or how does the platform do that? Um, Loaded question, so but... I, I, no, it's not top. loaded because I've been in, uh, I, so a relative, a, so I call her my step aunt once removed, but she's not really related to me, but her name is Nancy Kassebaum and she is Senator Kassebaum from Kansas. Oh. She was the Kassebaum of the Kennedy Kassebaum Act of 1996 that was passed as HIPAA. Okay. So I've known about HIPAA. Since 1995. <laughs> so I asked the right question to the right okay. person then. This is great. So, uh, and then in anyway, so I've been deep, deep in it. And, and, and what most people don't realize the focus of the original act was on portability, not individual confidentiality. The only thing that they were really trying to do was having neighbors from snooping when they go to the doctor to see what their neighbor was to, there to see the doctor about, that was like the, the, but the government regulators could not figure out the, how to, how to make the portability part of the act into a bureaucratic mess. 
So they glommed on to uh, personal health information and security, and they were able to make a $3 billion a year regulated industry out of that one teeny light little piece of the legislation that Kassebaum and Kennedy in intended from this whole thing in 1996. But anyway, that's a soapbox issue. Uh, <laughs> But but in everything that I've done since 1997, when I flipped from health services to health tech, has been focused on how do we secure personal information. Um, and, and my first job in health tech was with National Data Corporation, which um, they were first a credit card processor. They built the claims, pharmacy claims process on the credit card process. And of course, they had to secure all that back then. So we've been deep into, into what you would call cybersecurity now. And now I'm not the code guy, right? So all I can do is tell my code guys, okay, we've got to be compliant with HIPAA and I want to make sure that we are, you know, and then we get the testers and they test it and on. But yeah. Uh, but if you really think about it, the anonymity of the blockchain capability and the ability to use cryptographic uh, technology to secure the data, you know, it's going to be more secure than anything existing today, right? Um, the other component, though, is, is so our company is not building an electronic health record, okay? Mm -hmm. So while there may be health data in the, in the apps, it's not on the platform, okay? So the platform, the blockchain that we're building is not going to host clinical data. That will be the D apps. And the D apps is where they'll whoever's building that application is responsible for the security of the of the personal health information. Okay. So now we now that piece of the company, if we create a a, a an application that does that, then we're responsible for that. But we expect EMR companies to come into our ecosystem, labs, pharmacies, doctors' offices, and, and, and we will assure that what's called a business associate agreement that exists today is built into the system. It won't necessarily have to be pre-negotiated with every party. It's going to be embedded in a uh, smart contract, basically. So when you come into the ecosystem, you're saying, okay, I will comply with the business associated level uh, agreements of HIPAA. Um, I see. So you're kind of facilitating the financial transactions of these uh, smart contracts, medical. Yeah. Well, so we will, we will be, so let's say that you go see your doctor mm -hmm. and you're having a wellness visit and your doctor wants to do a, um, wants to see an x-ray that your radiologist has on his system. Okay. Now through our system, you're going to give your family doctor permission to go see your uh, radiological exam at the radiology's office. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we're going to know that you gave them permission. Okay. Then the doctor is going to access that x-ray. Okay. And we're going to know that the, that doctor that accessed that x-ray, we're going to do, we're going to validate um, identity of the doctor. We're going to validate, uh, uh, we're going to authenticate them and then we're going to validate authorization. Okay. You gave your doctor permission to go see your x-ray. 
And then we're going to validate that he or she actually did see the x-ray. So we're going to capture all of those transactions. We're not going to capture the x-ray. The x-ray is going to stay on the radiologist's system. And the doctor can view it virtually. It's no big deal. It happens every day. We just know that your doctor was given permission. Your doctor saw the x-ray and came back with the information he needed. Right, and the patient will know that too, because now if I send yeah, a, it's all inside your system. Right, if if I send an X-ray to my doctor, they won't. I won't know when they saw it or if they saw it necessarily, and I don't know who else might have seen it. Yep. Necessarily. Well, you will now. Right. Right. Yeah. So, because we'll be all of those transactions will be embedded in the blockchain, and they'll be transparent forever. Well, that's the benefits of transparency, right? We talked. We talked a little bit about HIPAA and how, you know, it's about originally intended to allow patients to take their health data and make it more portable. And it's become this like more protectionism or privacy industry. Right. Um, so I think that, you know, slowly we're chipping away at that. And I, what do you think about the regulations? Like, Are there any conversations happening, you know, in Washington, D.C. that lead you to think that things might change in terms of HIPAA? like dramatically or no, it's just going to be very slow. No, we're just going to be able to prove that we're HIPAA times 20 okay. by using blockchain. And then they're going to have no, you know, then they're going to have to say, okay, uh, well, what else are we going to do now? <laughs> we, we don't need you anymore because we don't need you. Right. But it's actually not just universal health coin. It's many other, well, no, Healthcare well, we would expect doing this everybody too. on earth to be on our system at some point in the future, right? <laughs> That's ambitious. Kidding. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I mean, I'm sure they're having, so, so the NIH, so, you know, a year and a half ago, they sponsored a big blockchain and healthcare um, right. white paper. And, and a lot right. of those are referenced in our uh, original white paper and, and all that. And so, um you know, you can see what they do and what how they, they even have the whole thing framed up. I mean, even to data lakes where clinical data is hosted, because it's not on the blockchain, it's got to be in a database somewhere. You just encrypt all the data um, and you separate, you de-identify it, you encrypt it. And then now the system knows where it is. So when a patient gives somebody permission to see it, the system can send them there, right? Mm -hmm. But the neighbor can't break into the system and figure out where it is to go see that record, which would be a HIPAA violation. So, yeah, I mean, we're going to put them out of business too, uh, the regulators. So, I mean. Slowly yeah. but surely, maybe. I mean, there'll <laughs> still be some form of regulation. I mean, in healthcare, there needs to be well, some. Well, it be policy level stuff, right? Right. So, okay. so they'll say, and it'll be so easy for them to dig in and prove it, right? because we're transparent. I mean, it's all encrypted, but you can see all the transactions, right? So, so they'll be able to go in and a lot easier and prove that we're compliant. So it'll be a lot less money spent on the regulation, though the policy will still hold. Gotcha. What's been the traction so far with um, UHX tokens, Universal Health Coin? All right, so they're not, so we haven't created the token yet. Okay. Um, so it's we just interest had, right now? Yeah, so we had a, a private pre-sale at the beginning of the year. Right. And that was more like your friends and family round. 
and we raised uh, enough money to start building our tech. And we've been focused on the tech and we were going to have our first, our to initial token sale on July the 2nd, because we were claiming independence from centralized healthcare. Then some lawyers peace squashed the idea because they said that we're not a utility. And if we're not a utility token yet, because we didn't have our tech built, right? We were going to do an ICO basically. And, um, and they said, well, you know, you got IBM as a collaborator. Uh, one of our investors is the Veterans Accountable Care Group, and they basically take care of veterans outside the VA system. So they're visually, you know, big deal. And a whole bunch of other partners. So the last thing you want to do is go up against the SEC and get pee squashed by the, by the SEC, right? So we didn't generate our token on July the 2nd. And so what we've been focused on since July the 2nd is really nailing our tech to get to what we call the token functionality point. Tell me more okay? about that. Yeah. The so we believe what the token functionality point is, and this is what we define in our updated white paper that was just approved by the lawyers that we'll be publishing like next week. Um, the token functionality point is the functionality of the application and the platform based upon what you say in your white paper and that you need the token to facilitate it, okay? So we have created the application. We've got the Stellar smart contract platform, all that built. We've demonstrated with fake tokens, uh, with developer tokens, that the process works. So we believe we've attained token functionality point so that, that we're considered... If we get looked at, you know, we can't say we're a utility token until somebody actually looks at us and say, okay, you're a utility token. But we were, we, with our lawyers, were going down this pathway to say, okay, we think this will pass scrutiny as a utility token. Um, so we're, we believe we're at that point. Um, we're getting ready to publish the updated white paper and we're, we're planning our token generation um, point our um, event uh, event our token generation event for I really wanted to be the end of September but it's probably going to be the first of October but less than 30 days that might I'm be pushing, actually I'm around the time the button, this will get published too I probably making a public statement I am pushing the button in less than 30 days okay so this will be published in the beginning of October. So it'll this might be coming by the time this is released, your sale might be open. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. So yeah, just to listen. Anyways, cool. we are not financial advisors at all. I am yeah. not at all. We're just chatting here. It's <laughs> yeah. just a conversation. Yeah, Everybody we're just chatting. Calm down. You know, do your own research, of course. Oh, yeah. Well, we're wide open, man. I mean, you know, a lot of these ICOs, these people are like behind screens and all this kind of stuff. And I've been from day one. I mean, I know I've spoken to or had intensive conversations with eight, with all 89 of our current uh, contributors. Hmm. Okay. 
And so I know them, they know me, they know I live in North Augusta, South Carolina, right across the river from uh, Augusta, Georgia, and I'm all over LinkedIn and I've got a Facebook page. And I mean, so I'm like, You're not going if anybody anywhere. gets ticked off at me, they know where I live. Okay. So I'm trying not to do that. Gotcha. Good. That's, um, that's great. Uh, it's an yeah. important thing, especially in this you know, growing field. It's kind of risky for people, but it's good to know yeah. how open you are and it's yeah. make people feel good. Welcome to the Health Unchained News Corner. In the most recent HIMSS Analytics Essentials Brief, 160 healthcare technology decision makers were actually surveyed to assess current preparedness and hurdles to actually adopting blockchain technology. Almost half, about 45% of respondents, said that their organizations were still investigating or learning about blockchain. About 6% are building a business case and securing support for exploring blockchain use cases. Of those, more than half said that they were somewhat likely to conduct a blockchain proof-of-concept or test pilot in the next 24 months. But non-providers like payers, the pharma industry, uh, and consultants are twice as likely to do this within the next 24 months. In general, the study shows that few decision makers on both the provider and non-provider side actually know what blockchain is, or even understand how to use it, or can agree upon what it means for healthcare. Unsurprisingly, the healthcare industry will probably be one of the last industries to adopt blockchain technology. But studies like this help to track the industry level of awareness and their interest. As always, check out the full article in the show notes. Now back to the show with Gordon Jones. There are many stakeholders in the healthcare industry. Patients, providers, payers, pharma, research industry. Who will... Is there any any stakeholder that will benefit the least or that will benefit the most from this type of platform? So the patient providers the most. Uh, that's the that's the primary. So the next level is going to be the ancillary provider. So labs, pharmacy. You could throw in pharma in there, the pharmaceutical companies themselves, but but third tier would be the research. So that's a little bit further down. Um, um, <clears throat> down at the bottom. Mm -hmm. uh, well, okay. So patients, providers, their sponsor, who would probably likely be their employer would be next. Because uh, payers, we, you know, we, we still need to pay for it. So the individuals don't have to pay for it. We just want the payer not to be in control of the decision-making, right? Which is what the government and the BUCAs do. Mm -hmm. So we give the control to the doctor and the patient, but the payer could still be the government or still be the employer. That's fine. Or an association or a labor, labor union or whatever. So then, uh, so then there, then you have your laboratories, you have your, all your ancillary providers, um, pharmacies and pharma pharmaceuticals is really a big part of it because that's 50% of the care, not necessarily the cost, but it's 50% of the care that's provided today. I mean, you go see your doctor and you walk away, everybody walks away with it, with a med, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's almost like we, it, you, they could give you a placebo and you're going to feel better because America, if they go to the doctor and they don't leave with a prescription, they don't feel good. 
But if they leave with a prescription, they feel better before they even get to the pharmacy. <laughs> well, the placebo so, effect that's been highly yeah, you know, researched. <laughs> but anyway, um, so at the bottom, the bottom, the very, very bottom are the companies that do the only thing that they do is facilitate the third party administrative process because all of that will be done in a smart contract it'll be automated it'll be decentralized the benefit design will be structured and embedded in a smart contract and the um provider fee schedule will be embedded in that smart contract and so it's it's open transparent i mean my so my vision is we can get to true decentralization through a blockchain-based health cost sharing community model in that you can go in and design your own benefit structure based upon what your genetic and your family disposition needs are that will be unique to you and your family. And it could be totally different than anybody else's. And the system will say, okay, it's going to cost you $700 a month. And then that's what you pay in every month. And, but you're, it's not a group that's coming in based upon that design. It's your benefit design for you and your family. Okay. And then everybody, everybody gets to do that. Everybody gets to create their own benefit structure based upon what they want and on top of that, they get to determine what they don't want their money to go to. Okay. So if you have a faith-based organization that has particular things that they don't want to pay for, then in their benefit design, they determine that. So, so their members $700 a month will not go to pay for whatever those things are for a member who needs them. That's not, in their profile. Okay? So let's take a, okay. So let's take a, I, I don't want to get too political around that, but, right, but, let, but it's let, really wrapped case. around, okay. it's wrapped around personal choice. Okay? okay. And as long as we can determine the value that you will bring to the ecosystem as a, va as, uh, as well as the benefit you will take from the system, and it's fair and it's equitable so that the system, the ecosystem at the end of the month or end of the year is zero balance, right? There's no negative, no positive. Then it's good. It's all good. So is there like a minimum size that the, you know, cost sharing organization should be that it can take on all those? Well, costs? We'll that. I mean, you've got some of these churches that have 30 members that are making, they're, they're making it right. Now, okay. they might have a reinsurance product over the top of it in the early days. Mm -hmm. which is the only true insurance, the only true health insurance in the world is reinsurance. And that's the Lloyds of London and those guys. Because they're the only ones that actually pay. They never deny anything. If an event happened and the insurance company can't cover it, then the reinsurance company has to pay for it. Okay. Hmm. They can't deny a claim like a United and a Blue Cross can. So if you, you know, I mean, there's cases every day you go, 
in this big case a couple months ago that I wrote about, that uh, lady in Arizona, she got approval for a surgery mm-hmm. that was going to cost 150000 bucks or so by the insurance company. So the doctor and the patient said, okay, th- we, we can go and do this now. They went and did it, but they did it in patient in the hospital, not in a surgery center. So when the, when the claim went to the uh, insurance company, they denied the claim saying you were supposed to go to a surgery center, not the hospital. So we're not going to pay a dime. Hmm. So then the hospital and the doctor had to go after the lady for 150,000. Is that insurance? That's not insurance. No. So there really is no such thing as health insurance in this country. It's a finance plan. That's all it is. And the centralizers can dictate where the money goes. Okay. So that's why we want to get rid of all that because we want the doctor to provide care, high quality care where they think they can provide the highest quality care to their patients. And, and the community will know that, right? Because the doctor is building their quality reputation in the ecosystem. Okay. The member, our members are building their membership reputation in the ecosystem. If you're diabetic and you weigh 400 pounds, we welcome you into the community. We will help cover the cost of your care. But when you go to the doctor and your doctor says you need to lose 200 pounds, you need to get your diabetes under control by walking 30 minutes three times a week and, 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 and get your new, you know, we give you a nutritional um, plan and to get on board with square meals, healthy eating, and you agree to that and you do it, your reputation actually goes up in the ecosystem. But if you don't comply, then your reputation starts to fall. And because the system is based upon voluntary contributions to cover your care, there's no mandate. There's no insurance product. There's no dictation that says you have to have the cost of your care covered by the community. The community will decide that. And so if you've got a good reputation and you're compliant with your doctor's orders and la-di-da, all that stuff, then the community will feel comfortable in covering the cost of your care whenever you need it. So you envision communities of all sizes. Yeah. So at the end of the day, I mean, you know, from an actuarial standpoint, if you, if you have to go down that pathway, because that's an insurance term and we're not pooling, we're not doing any risk pooling. So we're not pooling dollars and putting them into account and saying, okay, this money is for that. And this is our risk that we're going to have to spend that. We're not doing that, right? Um, but if you have to think about that, I mean, normally uh, 500 people um, could could be a baseline with a reinsurance on top of it, right? Um, but then you still have insurance in the middle of all that. So, so, so we'll, still, we'll still need that reinsurance on top of it as a Yeah, but we're going to – I mean – <laughs> we're we're not too worried about that because we believe okay. we're going to have a million members by the end of next year. Okay, that's so great. We'll, we'll I mean, I, ho- through, I really hope so. We'll, yeah, I mean, if we don't, well, the other whole thing about this, right, is we're building a decentralized platform for the world. 
Right. It's up to them. It's global, right? To make it work, right? I mean, we. That's why investing in our company is not where the value is. Investing in the ecosystem through the tokens is where the value is because well, the government can come after us and shut us down, but the decentralized UHX system still survives, just like Bitcoin, right? right. There's not anybody on earth that can shut Bitcoin down, right? Mm -hmm. So that's our whole philosophy with building this platform is so that the then people can design communities on the platform and make it work without even us around. How how would the cost per person or per group be determined based on, you know, as you said, like their personal lifestyle habits or their genetics? Yeah. And then you get, you know, up, this so is the, your price per month. How is that determined? So, so we do have models that do kind of a first line just based on your basic demographics. But the more data, the more data you contribute, we incentivize you for contributing more data, hmm. which then helps us make that determination. Hmm. So, the, but the system's going to do that. You know, we're we're not we don't have a utilization or a risk management committee sitting around figuring all this stuff out, right? The system, the machine learning. So as as the ecosystem goes forward and we have more and more members coming in and the, and, and the financial uh, modeling of the system flows over time, the machine learning creates all that. And so when somebody new comes in, then it helps them determine what's best because it's also based upon benefits also, right? Mm -hmm. So what will happen is the way we envision it is you'll plug in the benefit, all the benefits that you want, right? And then we'll have some basic uh, assessment determination, what it's going to cost you, okay? And if it's too much, then you want to maybe tweak some of your benefits and the cost will go down, right? But what can happen is, is if you've got a great reputation and you're compliant and you're healthy within the ecosystem, then the cost of your benefits will go down and then you can maybe add more benefits that you want covered. So you could increase the number of benefits and maintain your monthly contribution every month. Hmm. So um, I could see. I mean, this is all pretty deep stuff that we're talking about here. No, I, I, the deeper, the better. I think this is interesting. I, I'm kind of curious. I'm sure you're going to get a question or people have asked you already. What about people who might have certain uh, long-term illnesses or, you know, they're, mentally unable to do you know be active in the community and they're not taking care of themselves but they can't really do it. they're handicapped are they going to get penalized in the system how are they going to be able to contribute so uh yeah. i mean that I, we haven't written all the code so we don't know what that looks like um so there's a difference between an application mm -hmm. which would be the health cost sharing model mm -hmm. and the platform right so what we do envision are NGOs, and we already have a uh, project working on immunizations around the world um, through uh, UN NGOs. They'll be the sponsor of a particular population. So, for example, let's say um, you're committed to giving $200 a month and you opt out of um, your first two voluntary contributions to cover the cost of some member somewhere. Right. And you say, man, you just did not look good to me. And so you go and you search uh, American heart association and they have a program that they need funded to cover the cost of a specific demographic. 
you can contribute your $200 for that month to that demographic and it will count still as your contribution to the ecosystem. Okay. So that's one of the things that we're looking at. We haven't designed that yet, but we see that that uh, will be a big part of how we help underdeveloped countries as a matter of fact. So, um, I mean, we got a lot of, we got a lot of work to do, but, but we see is if we can build a core membership and that core membership becomes healthy and they train their families to be healthy and they get the system, uh, to be very functional and, and affordable, then we can start, uh, quote unquote, donating to underserved populations, where they're, wherever they are, you know, the community will determine where they are. So, uh, so we see that happening. It'll just have, it'll have to happen uh, organically. For sure. Do you think that healthcare clinics, urgent care clinics, health systems are interested or ready to accept you know, this form of payment yet, or is this, is this what you're working on now? Developing the community? Yeah, so we're, well, if, when we get on the radio, so one of our um, board members and our um, sponsors is um, Beasley media. They own 67 radio stations around the U S. Oh, nice. um, so they're really loving what we're doing. And so when we get to the point where we're actually advertising the consumer, we're not talking about crypto and blockchain, mm-hmm. right? We're talking about, health cost sharing or low cost healthcare services. That's the, that's the message Mm -hmm. because when they come in, they're just going to put their 200 bucks in their account. They don't know it's a wallet that has tokens in it. Right? So what'll happen is their $200 will get converted into the token UHX in order to facilitate the payment process, but they don't have to know anything about it. Now, you know, our target market is millennials and most millennials, we say Bitcoin and they'll say, yeah, cool, man. Healthcare with Bitcoin. I'm in. Mm-hmm. Um, so we see that, but that's not like our core marketing. Our core marketing is, um, Hey, you know, do you want to lower the cost of your healthcare? Do you want to participate in community sharing and fair payment and access to high quality care without the cost of administration in it? You know, that's kind of the messaging. And we're not talking about blockchain and we're not talking about cryptocurrency. So both the provider, uh, both the member putting in and the provider receiving is fiat. So wherever they are in the United States, USD and Canada, Canadian dollar and Mexico pesos, right? So let's say you you live in Chicago and you want to get a heart cath done for half the price with a higher quality doctor in Mexico which you can, including the 10 days recovery, still half price. So you go down there, but you're paying in in USD and we're paying out to the the Mexican health system pesos, okay? Which is one reason why we went Stellar because that's what Stellar does, right? So the Stellar platform was built to replace the SWIFT banking system. So that you can put in fiat here and you can get out local fiat there. And that's another reason why we chose Stellar. Can you explain to me a little bit more about that? Because my understanding is you need to still use an exchange to switch your Stellar tokens into fiat money. So we're, and we're building that. So we're, 
Okay. So we will have, well, Stellar is an exchange that does that at, at, at one level, mm-hmm. right? So they're not a, they're not a trading desk. They're actually, they partner with uh, local in-country uh, organizations that can do the conversion of this, of the lumens into the local fiat. And so they're building that network on their on their on their network to do that, right? Gotcha. So we can leverage that, but then internally we're building our own. Uh, it's a health services exchange, and it's also a token exchange. And and the reason we have to do that anyway, so a part of it's currency, but the other part of it is let's say Cardinal Healthcare wants to get access to all of our doctors and provide them with medical supplies. So they're willing to come into the ecosystem, but they've created their own token. So they've got a Cardinal Health token. Uh, And our doctor has UHX because they've been paid by patients all month, right? But the doctor wants to purchase the Cardinal Health medical supplies. We've got to have a token exchange, which you can look at as a trading desk, a token so that we can convert, so we can determine the value between the Cardinal Health token and the UHX token at that time that there's going to be an exchange. Okay. Hmm. So do you understand that? So our UHX is going to go and quote unquote, buy medical supplies from Cardinal Health. And we have to determine how much UHX is going to purchase Cardinal Health tokens to be able to purchase those supplies. Right. So it's the same thing with Amchart. So Amchart's a company, they're an electronic medical record company, and they're building an electronic medical record on a blockchain, and they have their own Amchart token, okay? So if you go back to that scenario, let's say that x-ray of yours at the um, radiologist is on an Amchart blockchain uh, application, right? They've got their own token. So your doctor wants to see that x-ray. So there's going to have to be some fraction of UHX that exchanges with that Amchart token to incentivize them to allow them, you know, to enable the x-ray to be viewed by the doctor, right? So it's like fractions of cents of cents, whatever it is, right? But there still has to be an exchange there. So we're building that exchange I see. So it's kind of like an exchange within an exchange. So we're built on Stellar, but we're building our own exchange to be able to do that. Yeah, this whole the whole blockchain uh, terminology becomes really interesting because we're able to, you know, put an actual value for everything that we do. Now it's not just Absolutely. stuff that you're buying anymore, or like content, like any conversation could be valued at something and then that value can be exchanged for something else potentially, right? Well, and in the scenario I just said, the reason that you go to your doctor's office and you want them to give you your medical record and they charge you 50 bucks, Mm -hmm. they're just trying to get some value out of spending the time giving you your medical record, right? Right. Printing it or whatever they're doing, right? So So that radiologist may not know that, this doctor is accessing your x-ray on his system, but he should get, in, he should get uh, paid for that because he did the x-ray and it's being hosted on his system. So he should get paid for that. So mm-hmm. then this goes to the research that mm-hmm. we didn't get to. Right. So now we have individuals, individuals in our system have their clinical data somewhere, not necessarily in our system, but 
in an application or database in the ecosystem somewhere. And they want to make some money off of their data, right? So they say they see a, a pharmaceutical um, clinical trial going on. And they say, sure, man, I'll let you have access to this part of my medical, medical record for your research. And they should get paid for that. But the pharmaceutical company has got to figure out how they're going to pay for that access. So they're, do they buy UHX directly, which then funds that member? Or do they have their own token? Did they tokenize their clinical trial, right? Hmm. And so now we've got a token there that has to be exchanged at like value with our UHX. So that's why we are building our own token exchange to okay. be able to facilitate all those millions of transactions that will be happening every day. That is very interesting. It's and the back end is really complex, but at the end of the day, the experience for the patient provider is going to be more seamless than it is now. So, well, they're not going to know that all this stuff exactly. is going on, right? right. <laughs> it's like trying to create a website in nineteen, you know, ninety-eight. It's not as easy as it oh. is now, yeah. right? So now, so this is where we get to: how are we going to help the healthcare provider shortage? It's not mm. just this country; it's around the world. So right now in the United States, a physician spends 40% of their time not on patient care, At on least. admin. Yeah. And a lot of it's data entry, right? So if we can use our system to reduce the burden of them having to do data entry and file claims and do all that stuff, because you realize a clinical medical record a, an electronic medical record was not built to be a clinical system. It was built to be a billing system. That's, okay? that's actually true. So when I do my presentation, I've got the whole third-party administrative process, right? So a doctor enters the data into their electronic medical record so that they can create the codes that then populate a invoice, a bill, which turns into a claim which gets sent to the clearinghouse. The clearinghouse switches it to the third-party administrator. The third-party administrator adjudicates the claim and then finds out that it's a PPO contract. So then they got to switch it over to the PPO. The PPO reprices it, sends it back to the third-party administrator. The third-party administrator finally knows how much it needs to be paid. They tell the payer to pay it, and it finally gets to the doctor. And that's why it takes 30 to 120 days to get paid. We're going to get rid. I mean, my mission is to get rid of that whole piece of the puzzle. And if we can do that, then the doctor doesn't have to spend time. We still want them to document from a clinical perspective, but it's not nearly as intensive as a billing system. And so they will be able to the, they will be able to reduce the amount of time they spend on admin. And so instead of increasing the number of people that go to medical school, we just increase the time that a doctor has to spend on more patients. Right. Make it more or nurse or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so that we're going to help, we're going to, our system is going to help uh, solve the healthcare provider shortage in this. I, I certainly, <laughs> certainly hope so. <laughs> um, so this question I'm kind of interested in just generally speaking, there's that much of the cost that's actually coming um, from healthcare is from mismanagement of end of life care and the aging population and decisions made at the end of life. How will Universal Health Coin help with managing those kind of decisions? 
So if you're a native <clears throat> native Indian 300 years ago, mm-hmm. and and you couldn't keep up with the with the clan moving, then you went in the forest and died, man. Right. So um, you know because you're you knew you were a burden sure. on on the tribe, right? And so you did, and that's what elephants do, right? So elephants leave the tribe, they go out in the woods, and then they they just lay down, and they die when they when it's time, right? And there are a bunch of people in this world who are cool with doing that, right? Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, when I die, mm-hmm. I'm gonna live to be 115, so I'm not gonna die for a long time. Hopefully, longer. But I already <laughs> have my plan, right? So I'm gonna jump out of an airplane with my backpack, not my parachute. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm already have dug the hole, so I'm gonna land the land. I'm gonna I'm gonna hit the landing. I'm gonna be six feet under, and it's gonna hit so hard because I'm gonna jump out at twelve thousand five hundred feet that the dirt's just gonna go and cover me up, right? So that's my plan. <laughs> I don't want to be a burden on my family. I don't want to be ventilated. I don't right. want. I mean, I've got my. Um, I mean, if you don't have a, well, I think um, a lot of the will. the problem is that these people might not have, they haven't made that clear to their family. They might also agree with you, but oh, no one's we, talked so, about it. So we will, I mean, we will push living wills. We will push, you know, you got to talk to your family about what you want, uh, and 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 that's a part of creating an efficient ecosystem, right? Because at the end of the day, the ecosystem is is what's going to get get hurt because a family didn't have that conversation, even though that person does want to die at home. Right. But because they didn't do, uh, they didn't do a living will. They didn't do a power of attorney and all that. Now the family's sitting around saying, Oh, we don't want grandpa to die. Mm -hmm. You know, we want to do everything we can. And at the end of the day, just it's not, it's not right. So that's my personal philosophy, but within the system, we should definitely have, uh, because this is a, at the end of the day, we're going to be educating people. Mm-hmm. We're going to be educating people on nutrition, on healthy lifestyles, because at the at the end of the day, we cannot change the cost of healthcare through governing. No government agency, no, no buka, no hospital administration. None of those people can change the cost of healthcare. The only people that can change the cost of help there are us taking care of ourselves and our families and making sure that we're healthy because, and that's the other cool thing about health cost sharing communities is that now I, now I know that it's not United healthcare, some big behemoth company paying for my healthcare coverage. And I am just going to get ticked off and they don't do it. Right. Or a government, I mean, you know, Medicare, Medicaid, you know, because right now people don't care. Cause they think it's free money. Mm-hmm. But if they know, if I know that you're helping to cover the cost of my care, then I'm going to start feeling some conviction mm-hmm. and response and start taking risk. I believe, cause it would be me. Uh, I believe that people, if they know that other people are supporting their, their healthcare needs and even being available to help motivate them, then people will start changing their behavior. And 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 all the McDonald's, the the Wendy's, the Burger King, the Taco Bell, all that will, the names might be the same, but there won't be a French fry in in a one. 
hmm. if everybody changes their behavior, right? There'll be other meal choices in there, right? And um, and we want so and this is a funny story. So in the early two thousands, I was doing we we created uh, one of the first um, web based physician billing companies called Meta and Web. But anyway, um, I had partnered with some Israelis, so they they came over. And they were, because they were the financiers, they had a bunch of money. And um, we were building this thing. And, and so we were going out and going to movies and all that. And, and, and even then, 17 years ago, a small was a 16-ounce glass, right? That was the small Coke at yeah. the movie theater. And they were freaking out. I mean, they were saying, you got to be kidding me. I mean, so I was like, it is pretty ridiculous. we're so acclimated. I mean, I'm not necessarily a liberal Democrat, but but when Bloomberg was pushing reducing the size of the uh, soft drinks in restaurants in New York City, I was kind of like, "Let's see what happens." Yeah, hey man, I mean, we got to do it. So if the people aren't going to do it, you know, you know, maybe it's a good idea to <laughs> kind of help. Right, and you, as you said, the I hate government controls. So I just want to incentivize people to change their behavior. I don't want people to be told that they have to. And the key, and I just this way this decentralization uh community sharing model is a way that we i believe we can motivate people to actually start taking responsibility for themselves because that's the only way we're going to be able to do absolutely it. and i think education like you said is the key can you tell me uh, you know what's on the roadmap now so what's going on for you mentioned it a little bit about the ico coming up maybe um and you know the product you're working on but beyond that what's going on so um well as soon as we get the money we start building right so okay. we built our quote-unquote mvp and our core token functionality point and all that and, and we, we got to that point but that's like that's like you know that only cost us about two hundred fifty thousand bucks. yeah somewhere around there okay the design on everything we need to build we've already priced out at five million okay so we gotta we gotta work on the design that's gonna cost us five million. So we're like in the very very early stages of doing that, right? Because gotcha. I mean we're incorporating not just blockchain, but we're incorporating, and everybody talks about AI, but but it's not really there yet. But the but really what AI I think truly is is machine learning is the capability for a system to continuously learn based upon the inputs mm -hmm. that are that are provided to it. Right. That that's what's cool. So we're, that's kind of the core uh, focus is, is how do we build a platform that continuously learns uh, and makes itself better. And, uh, and so that's going to, that's going to cost a lot of money. And then our, our two exchanges, which are really one, but we call it two separate functions. So it's the health service exchange. So that's, basically the smart contract process so that providers can come in, hang their shingle inside the ecosystem and transparently provide their fee schedule and say, I will do this service for this amount of money if you purchase it through UHX. Okay. So that's the health health exchange. And then the decentralized token exchange. So, and, and the health exchange is decentralized too. So there's nobody controlling that. That's built in within the blockchain system. And then, and then the token, the decentralized token, that's humongous. So that's, we're basically duplicating the 
the finances of on the financial transaction side um hmm. on the trading side right so but we're going to be even because we're going to have more transact we're going to have millions of transactions going on a minute eventually which kills any trading desk right so we've got to build that <laughs> and nobody's ever built that before right so yeah you know no that's a lot that's of that's a lot of work <laughs> a lot of um, you know potential there and um I'm excited for your team. I'm excited for you. I'm really interested in where Universal Health Coin is going to go. Um, are there any final thoughts you kind of want to leave the audience with? Well, now, I know this is oriented towards the healthcare uh, audience, so I, I appreciate that. And, and, and just know that, um, you know, personally, uh, I didn't necessarily want to get into a blockchain project that's only making legacy systems more efficient but I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, right? So if we can get uh, electronic medical records and claims processing and pre-authorization and all that current legacy system stuff going on the blockchain and it becomes more efficient, that's great. Because if that happens, then we can pull it into our ecosystem a lot easier and then start making it more efficient, right? So, <laughs> so I don't want to put that down at all. Um, and there are a lot of great companies out there working on those problems. Um, but you know, we're focused on the consumer and them getting access to high quality health services and not being dictated to about where they get it. Um, because, uh, you know, if the payer says you can't go, you can go there, but you're paying for it out of your own pocket then that's not, that's, that's, that's centralized control. And um, now we'll have the inf information that they need to make a smart decision, but, but the system should be able to do that and, and, um, and not a central organization. So we want to, de we want to decentralize healthcare. That's what we want to do. That's and, the dream. Uh, I think and we, a, and, 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 and the providers and the pharmacies, um, and even even some of the technology providers should be on board with the mission, and we invite them to come in and help us. How do they reach out to you? How can they get in yeah, contact? Yeah, so uhx.io is the main website. Um, Excellent. And uh, you can I'll find me on that. LinkedIn, man. I'm uh, mm -hmm. so dr. So Dr. Gordon Jones. So LinkedIn right. backslash Dr. Gordon Jones uh, on LinkedIn. I do have a Facebook thing, but you know, I'm not. I think that your song that you uh, made with Art Love, the blockchain movement, is, is is awesome. It's it's very catchy. I think so. I'll put that in the show notes as well. I think that um, okay. you know, kudos to you for doing that. And yeah, you know, when you get into this blockchain cultural thing, and you hear some really. So I'm not a rapper, right? So, and most of those blockchain songs are rappers, and I can't understand a thing. They, so I had to tone it down a little bit. So when I wrote the song, I really. Uh, you know, it was more of a teaching thing because I like teaching about blockchain too. So we wanted to make sure we hit all the important parts about it and put it into a song that sounds cool and, and that you can actually hear the words and understand them. So, so that's Good what we tried to do. <laughs> I enjoyed it. <laughs> and then I know I'm not a lead singer, so I had to bring Art Love, who Arthur Chapman's his real name, but I had to bring him in to be the lead. lead. So, so I'm background and then I do the one voice 
portion of it. Right. But, and what's uh, cool too is it's published on Tune.co, which is actually a blockchain-based platform where musicians can upload their music and get rewarded with uh, notes tokens. So yeah, that's kind of cool. And we and we promote that whenever we share links and stuff like that. We we promote the tune, but you can get it on iHeartRadio and you can get it in yeah. your iTunes store it's and it's you can on YouTube. Get it just about it, solidity. <laughs> yeah. All right. Gordon, thank you so much. I had a great conversation. This was awesome. I think we learned a lot, and I hope that our audience learned a lot about Universal Health Coin and your mission as well. So thank you. Well, thank you, Anna. We hour and eighteen minutes, man. I hope they I hope we kept them uh, excited hope, enough to stick with us. <laughs> yeah, I hope so too. I think I, I'm pretty sure they'll enjoy this one. Good, good. All right, man. Well, thank you for the time. I appreciate it. Hey, y'all, you cyberpunk health warriors and nimble digital disruptors. Check out healthunchained.org and remember to subscribe to Health Unchained on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and iTunes. Join the Health Unchained community on our Telegram group, t.me slash healthunchained. If you enjoyed this episode, tell your friends, your bosses, your teams, your students to listen and subscribe. Thank you.